Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Reverend Rick Reynolds. He is the Executive Director of Operation Nightwatch, an organization with a dedication to the homeless among us, and they show it by ministering to them, feeding them, walking the streets of Seattle with them every night. Rick, welcome. Thanks for coming. It's great to be here. Thank you, Gary. And I want to say welcome back. You, you've been my guest once or twice, but it's been a couple of years, I think, since we've talked I hope I'm not wearing out my welcome. <laughs> not at all. And I'll tell you why we keep having you back, because this problem that you address every day is so serious, I think we have to keep talking about it. Um, a little background first on Operation Nightwatch. Been around for like over 40 years now, right? 51 years. 50-some. Yeah. Wow. And it, am I right? I mean, it's kind of you walk the streets. Is that how it started with one or two pastors? Started with a group of ministers taking turns out on the street late at night. They the the first folks went out from 10 p.m. till four in the morning, if you can believe that. Uh, mostly Pioneer Square, First Avenue, downtown Seattle. Yeah, and I don't know. Seattle has changed in 50 years. The homeless population or the problem has changed over 50 years? Has the focus of what Operation Nightwatch done? I mean, people are still people. Has, has the focus changed? Well, sure. I think so. Uh, we've got uh, people that used to hang out in little dive bars in downtown Seattle. Uh, th- those places are gone. The, a lot of the uh, little cheap housing that was downtown, most of that is gone. And so the the homeless camps and homeless in, in general is gotten much worse. So Nightwatch has adjusted what it does to meet the needs. And how big of an organization? You're private, nonprofit, right? That's right. It's run so, by a few people and a, probably a volunteer board of directors. That's, correct. We've okay. got uh, about a 14-member board uh, from the community. Um, we've got, you know, workers and, and we're privately funded uh, through donations. And you're a, a pastor, uh, you're a religious-based, faith-based organization? We're a faith-based organization without requiring any faith activity to participate in what we do. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, you know, we, we say that we, uh, we're uh, trying to love our neighbors, so that's a pretty generic uh, approach. That's pretty easy for someone who's not religious or faith-oriented uh, to say, well, I can, I can accept that and— Go along with your mission. Everybody's welcome, yeah. Okay. Everybody's welcome to help out. That's beautiful. Okay, so let's get to some of these things you do. And I guess there's kind of three big roles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, food and shelter, if we combine that to one, I guess that's two. Yeah. Uh, housing, that's kind of shelter. Uh, and street ministry. So the, they sort of have three different places and ways you do that. Let's talk about maybe the one you do all day, every day. Um Housing people, right? Housing, they're, right. So, like you said, downtown 50 years ago, there were smaller and lots more places and cheap and expensive places where someone could at least find a house, and a, a place to sleep uh, for a month at a time. 20 Not years so ago, uh, Nightwatch was able to purchase a small apartment building on the edge of the International District. We're located at 14th and uh, South Main Street, uh, close to the, the International District. And uh, we got 24 units of housing, and this is not housing like you would see in most places. It's got uh, shared bathrooms and a, one kitchen on each floor. Uh, but this was how housing was built back before the First World War. So we have one of the last true single-room occupancy buildings in the city of Seattle. Uh, for residents uh, are 62 years old or older. They're all low income. Uh, a lot of them, most of them have been homeless at some point. And it's a real, you know, affordable alternative. So they pay 
275 to 300 dollars a month rent and then we have somebody in the building that uh, watches out for them make sure that they're not uh, you know crashing and burning we want them to keep their housing and so we we assist them uh, and you know we have outings and we have food available and there's uh, activities going on in the building uh, that they can or uh, don't have to but can participate in so it's a great little community and what happens is you know people think oh i'm going to get a place in a subsidized unit someplace and then they find out that those big impersonal buildings are not the greatest and they want to come back to night watch so no kidding so like you said it sort of builds its own community because of a, a communal kitchen so they almost know each other and shared bathrooms and Wow, so that, that does make its own neighborhood, I guess. It, and it's amazing how uh, folks watch out for each other. So uh, it's not for everybody. I mean, you know, don't want to have to share a bathroom with uh, 12 other people. But, you know, it's it's not bad. It's And, 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 and uh, our folks seem to enjoy living there and uh, enjoy the friendships that are forged in yeah, the building. Uh, uh, and like you said, there, are there not that kind of housing units... Uh, available uh, as many in the city as the city could certainly use more and more and more. Of that, I don't right? think you could build this kind of building anymore. If building codes are different and you got to supply a bathroom. And so there's just not uh, a way to build it, but preserving what, what we've got is a great start. Um, so the, the excitement for us this year with our building was that uh, a, year, a, a year ago, I should say, we discovered that there was rainwater coming in through the south side and the, take a look at our, uh, the stucco on the outside of the building and realize that it was cracking. And, and so we, we had a big push to replace about half the windows in the building and, and redo the stucco on two sides and uh, do a little bit of updating on the gutters and roof. And uh, while we're at it, we updated the baseboard heaters and put in new cove heating and uh, new carpet in the ups, up, upper room. So it was uh, a big project, and it was really uh, gratifying to see that done. And and then, you know, almost as soon as we got it done, then the snow hits, you know. So it's a, been a test for our new waterproof building to make sure that it stays that way. <laughs> and uh, let me go back just a little. So these folks are paying some rent. Are they yes. mostly on, if they're all retired, are they earning like oh. a Social Security, a disability, some pension, yep. or I mean... How do folks uh, and because there's I kind of want to I'm extrapolating this when I hear that well you can house 24 people that can afford this but there's a lot more there's you know people in the city and the county that can't or can't find a place like this I mean they're scraping by or what's the deal so um, the average income per person in our building is something around eleven hundred dollars a month uh, social security so the two seventy five to three hundred is you know, it's affordable a big to them. Chunk though of, yeah. of your monthly income. Yeah, but it's it, most of the folks in the building can make their rent every month. Uh, once in a while, we kind of have to have a little counseling session with somebody. But mostly, they they do all right. You know, and uh, you throw in dinner on top of that, uh, it's a pretty good deal for rent. All right, and that's that's part one. Your housing, you house people. Right. A senior housing. Okay, food and shelter. So you guys do this. Every single night, right? Every so, single night, we 
managed to get everybody together during the snow, which was really a challenge, getting uh, workers to the right place at the right time. This is a uh, volunteer sort of run thing, right? Feeding people every night? Well, we have paid staff, but mostly the, the meal, all the meals are uh, produced by volunteers. And usually it's a group of folks, sometimes friends, uh, sometimes a workplace will organize to do a meal. And then, of course, churches or service clubs come in and do meals. Um, every single night, they decide on their own menu. Uh, we have uh, volunteers that go out and, and glean from the stores or get food from the various uh, food bank networks that we're a part of. Um, and then they figure out how to do a meal. So it's, it's pretty exciting every night. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, a couple nights of spaghetti, and then somebody will come in with... Uh, you know, a f- fancy cook from one of the hotels to show up and really do a fantastic meal. So, um, yeah, that's that's fun. Uh, and then so we, we have the central dispatch point. So homeless people come to us, about 120 to 130 individuals each night um, at 9 o'clock. We're late. That's why we got the Night Watch name when nobody else is doing feeding programs and opening up that late. So... Uh, we do a meal and then we send people from that location uh, at 14th and Main to uh, uh, shelters around town. Some of the shelters are shelters that Nightwatch actually funds. So we contract with Catholic Community Services, with Bread of Life Mission, and at times with uh, Compass Housing Alliance or uh, Salvation Army uh, to provide space to take care of more people that, than would otherwise get inside. So. Uh, and then we top off other shelter programs. So we'll call the shelters as late as midnight and try to get everybody in to every available bed in town. So and, you are part of this network of other shelters that that you can then... Well, that sounds really like logics, you know. I mean, I guess for the Internet nowadays and email and stuff, that really helps. But uh, So you can find out there's this many beds in this shelter, there's this many beds in shelter C and D, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we found that actually just a phone call to the staff is the most efficient way to get ah. get an accurate count. And plus sometimes, uh, depending on the shelter program, they want to know who's going to actually be coming to to see them. So, um, so they'll want names, you know, ahead of time to expect the person to come. So you mean the, and this is what I think the general public, doesn't know about. You see these people enough over and over. The shelters see them enough, enough. If you say uh, Gary's coming down, uh, he needs a bed tonight, they know, oh yeah, Gary's coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they know him. Yeah, hopefully they won't say, don't ever send Gary to <laughs> us again. <laughs> well, that's yeah. my pro- I hear that a lot myself <laughs> just in my regular day. Uh, wow, so, and then feeding, you feed, what'd you say, 120 some yeah, people? Yeah, about 120. And this doesn't start till 9 o'clock. Right. We're in some other, uh, you know, hot meal places are done. And, oh, sure. And again, the people that come back to you, regu- they're regulars. They know Night Watch. Yes. I can get a hot meal yes. at 9 o'clock. So do they Correct. start a big lineup around the block? At, well, because you, that, I mean, you're in a neighborhood, right? Right. We're in a neighborhood, and we try to be really good neighbors. Um, and we're, uh, so when we were working with the neighborhood to kind of diminish the, the lining up and the loitering in the neighborhood, so we... We told our guys, don't show up till we open. So we don't get a big lineup. And actually, I think uh, other than new people that are uncertain and anxious, uh, our regular customers, let's say, uh, know that if they're five minutes after nine, they're still going to get fed very 
efficiently and there's always plenty of food and um and there really isn't any advantage to being early so that's that's been a great uh, improvement in the last 20 years you used to see people standing in line for four or five hours to get into night watch it was a bad thing and so let's go back again they can come in they walk there's a kitchen there there's a counter there's dishes you know uh, some paper plates some get some water or something to drink and then volunteers smiling scoop volunteers them up, right i mean yep. sc- scoop them up some uh, i don't know like you said it's different every night right it's Hash, different every some night. beans over here some corn or some yeah and whatever. sometimes it could be you know fancier food than i've eaten in a week you know so uh, the quality i think every group takes some pride in what they're doing down there because they own it right so the they want to put out the best meal possible and so um they get pretty complicated at times, and, and some of them will st- come in and start cooking at, you know, 5 o'clock to make sure that they can get everything put together. Well, sometimes time. to do the, you know, you got to go low and slow with That's the ribs right. or whatever. I don't know what you're cooking. So, Gary, you should come down and volunteer. It sounds like you know what you're doing in a well, kitchen. Well, okay, be honest. We'll tell you. I have, okay? okay? I know this kitchen, and it's a nice, it's actually pretty nice. It's some industrial-sized stoves and ovens there, mm-hmm. and yeah. there's tons of food in the back. But that comes and goes on a variety too, right? Yeah. Like you said, you have to work with uh, food banks, et cetera, and yes. stores that are about to get rid of stuff. Or it can get exciting. I remember when I first came to Nightwatch 25 years ago, I was always frustrated because, you know, we'd have the bread and the peanut butter, no jam, you know. <laughs> and, and then, then we'd have the bread and the jam and no peanut butter. Right. And then, you know, it was like every night there was some complicating factor. Well, I want to encourage people right now. I have volunteered for this. It's actually pretty easy to go down there. There's nothing to be, you're not vulnerable. It's not hard to look somebody in the eye and say, hey, would you like a bowl of soup tonight? Would you like this chili are we made? Um, you know, if there's a Rotarian listening, they say, hey, that's what we can do. It Absolutely. takes, what, five or six of people? Yep, What's the right amount of people, people can to volunteer? Yep. Yeah, uh, guys who are, I don't know, uh, a social club, a uh, church group, yep. anything, right? Yep. Uh, the, the secretarial pool in the office, let's say. Uh, they don't really <laughs> exist anymore, but right? Right. Anybody yeah. listening, so let's give out some information before I go too far, right, if they want to do that. To get in touch with you. How, how do you want people to get in touch well, with you? Well, the best is to uh, email us at info at seattlenightwatch.org. Okay, say that again because people just went and got their pencil now, yes, Rick. it's info, I-N-F-O, at seattlenightwatch.org. And just shoot off an email and say, yeah, that sounds interesting. Tell me more about it. You'll respond to them, say it's this easy. Yep. We'll send them, we'll send them a little survey to fill out that'll tell us what their interests are because we do use volunteers upstairs with the senior housing clients, and it's a little less overwhelming in some ways than facing 120 people for a meal. Well, I want to talk about the 120 people. That's who makes it there that night, mm-hmm. each night. But right. otherwise, another part of what you guys do here, we're talking with Seattle Nightwatch. It's Reverend Rick Reynolds, Executive Director, Operation Nightwatch, downtown Seattle, uh, actually kind of the International District, kind of Rainier Avenue area, kind of up north of Rainier, I guess, where that ends, right? I mean, we, we go clear up to the county line. I mean, I've, I'm engaged with, you know, my street outreach work all the way up to Shoreline because homelessness, you know, used to be a downtown problem, right? right. Yeah. And now uh, it, it really is spread out throughout King County. Uh, we talked to a guy uh, from Bellevue uh, this week who said, how come you guys aren't doing outreach to the homeless people in Bellevue? It's like, 
Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, for some reason, this problem won't go. I mean, this is an entirely different topic that'll fill up a half hour <laughs> lickety yeah. split, the, the reasons. And, but we're talking today about, you know, just helping a little bit at a time does help people, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. so let's talk about the people on the street and particularly maybe this. We've had the coldest February, I think, in recorded Seattle history. Almost every night it seems to be below freezing again. Not to mention the snow we had for like two weeks in a row, but it's still getting below freezing. Uh, talk about either how that affects the folks, uh, homelessness, the, your response, or, you know, the whole Seattle and the shelters and the number of beds available. There's a, it's a big complicated mess sometimes. Well, the snow complicates life for everybody. I mean, I don't want to discount the, the moms trying to figure out what to do with their kids that aren't in school and that kind of stuff. But, um, for homeless people, it's life threatening. And this, the city and the King County know that, uh, an extraordinary response is needed when there's snow on the ground. And so um, both Seattle and King County um, work with nonprofits to open up extra space. So for instance, there was uh, uh, the Garfield Community Center opened up uh, their, their doors and the uh, Seattle Center had one of their uh, halls open during the cold weather and uh, the city made arrangements to, uh, prov- you know, to put social services in there temporarily to to work with those folks that would otherwise have been outside and aren't usually inside during uh, during cold weather. So, um, yeah, so there's a an extra push to make more space available, which is gratifying. And then, you know, when the melt comes. You know, then then those places close down and those people are back outside again. So yeah, it's kind of I know, but there's still the same number of people that need help. It's it's, it's I don't get that. It's crazy making at times. Um, so I'm uh, I'm involved with one of the organized camps. It's a little camp called Camp United We Stand. There's I think 30 residents. A good I'd say probably six or eight of them are physically. Um, disabled and not able to to carry out um, many of their responsibilities. I mean, there are people in there that are, you know, undergoing dialysis. There's people that are using walkers to get around. And to think about those folks in the cold weather is really uh, disturbing, you know. And happily, the church that hosted them uh, for most of this l- last couple of weeks uh, opened up the uh, fellowship hall of the church and just let them uh, stay inside during the day or night um, in their church. And it was a you know beautiful thing to be able to provide for those folks. But boy, it's a, it's a tough life, you know, and, and being homeless uh, shortens the lifespan. I mean, the average, uh, you know, life expectancy of a homeless person is like t- significantly lower than the general population. Well, you know, I read something that one change in homelessness, like people finally have been tracking these kind of things over the years now, is that the number of them that die, homeless deaths in King County, have risen year after year to almost 200 last year. Yeah. We stood uh, outside the uh, the uh, Justice Center downtown today for uh, four people that had died just in the last couple of weeks. And... Um, it was, I was so cold just after an hour standing around outside that I was feeling numb and and <laughs> rather cranky after an hour. And folks that are homeless are outside 
oftentimes for hours, if not days. Yeah. We are talking this morning with Reverend Rick Reynolds. He's the executive director of Operation Night Watch, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving the homeless people living on the streets of Seattle. You can look them up online at seattlenightwatch.org, seattlenightwatch.org, or send them an email. Rick will love to hear from you via email and ask some questions about it. Info at seattlenightwatch.org is the email address. You guys are on Facebook too, right? You uh, come into the 21st century with that kind of stuff? I don't know. I, I don't know if we are. Oh. Uh, I want to read from, I know you have on that website, you you write a few articles, blogs, I yes. guess. I want to read mm-hmm. one and then just let people, let it sink in and you can comment on it that I read the other day. And it starts like this. One of my homeless friends was really drunk last night. I've never seen him like this before, but I heard secondhand about his problem. He was sitting in a chair outside. It was pretty cold. I offered him pizza but he was not responsive at all. Ten minutes later, I hollered at him. He opened one eye, looked at me, and said, I love you too much to kick your butt, but I want to kick someone's butt. (laughs) Then he gave me a fist bump, staggered to his feet, and shuffled off to a porta potty He's a drunk, but he's also a hardworking friend. I can't turn my back on him, but I will keep loving him and try to steer him in the right direction. Um, You know, that's kind of powerful. It's a short story. It says a lot in there about... You know, because I can picture this in a number of different ways when I think of that encounter. But you're a pastor, Operation Night Watch. You said it's a Christian-based organization. Your ultimate, I guess, goal as a pastor to save souls. Do you mix these two missions together? I mean, is God present for guys like this? Is there a a cathedral for the homeless? (laughs) I mean, do you serve their spiritual needs just by uh, being a friend, being, I don't know, um, being present to them? And is that what volunteers can do too? It, it's it's on my mind. I mean, I, I we don't go out with the intent of evangelizing, um, but when somebody's in a personal crisis, I, I think it's appropriate. You know, we'll ask permission if they would like us to pray with them, um, and it doesn't even happen every week uh, that I'm out. But um, I'm I'm really tuned into uh, recovery you know, 12-step recovery, an, an AA model. So we start with the person and their understanding of God as they understand him. And that's, I think a lot of people kind of identify with that. So I'm not so much there to preach at somebody, but to sort of um, hopefully inspire the desire to reach out within themselves and and to uh, make contact with the God of their understanding. And, and, and what happens is that people, um, it may not be the right moment for that guy in that blog. And he, just so you know that uh, because of his continued being drunk and living in the camp, that they had to put him out, actually. They had to, the other campers, the other homeless folks had to say, you know, one of the rules of the camp is that you have to be sober. You know, now that doesn't mean he couldn't have gone out to drink and then just gone home and gone to bed. They would never have known. But he was sitting in the camp and being drunk in public. And so they had to deal with that. But maybe that action of asking him to leave will make it so that he's got to think about it. You know, everybody's going to hit their bottom at some point, right? Hopefully while they're still alive. And like you said, they got to, 
believe in what the AA, what do they call it? Believe in something bigger than the, yourself the, or the, something greater than yeah, power greater than power, themselves. Yeah. They have to recognize they got the problem too though, to begin with, right? Realize your own powerlessness. Any other stories like that that you know that you share a lot of stories uh, that you like to point to people and say, "Oh, there, there's hope in these people." Yeah, too. I, think I mean, that's that's the one thing I always like it when we have new volunteers because they see the hopefulness in the faces of the people coming through the line. Because I got that out of that guy. Yeah, there's a little hope there. Yeah, there is. Um, and you know, I've run into guys that were the most toxic. Uh, drunk ever was uh, somebody standing in line at night watch and he moved into our building um, and continued to drink he totally destroyed the room and we just said you know what Walt we're going to keep working with you and he he got sober and it was the most amazing thing ever he um, fell and broke a vertebrae in his back and was in traction at a Swedish hospital in First Hill we went up to see him every week and said, hey, how's, how's it going? Can we say a prayer for you? And about the third week, he said, hey, guess what? I'm praying myself. Said, That's good, Walt, you know. And uh, uh, he came back a changed human being after a month. And um, he went on to be, uh, you know, like do uh, tours of the lighthouse in West Seattle and, and uh, deliver f- food bank food to shut-ins and uh, uh, boating safety classes for the Coast Guard Auxiliary and all these other good works that he was able to do. And his question to me was, I don't, and he'd say, I don't know why I was doing that to myself. And, um, you know, he joked about well, what made Nightwatch different because he, he had washed out of like nine different recovery programs. He told us this because we laughed at his corny jokes. But <laughs> I know there was a lot more to it than that. Um, but we did hang with him, you know. And once you get somebody inside, they get that, uh, they have the ability to, to focus more on those higher needs, you know, his uh, need to resolve his drinking problem. There was no way he could do that outside. So I, I think that's the, the thing I'm grateful for. 25 years of working there, I feel really good about the good that we've done for people like Walt and lots more yeah and those those success stories they come one at a time this is what people Absolutely. have to realize they come one at a time but they do come yes and I again we're gonna run out of time pretty soon I want to encourage people to volunteer think about volunteering just look into uh, what uh, operation Nightwatch does again online seattlenightwatch.org or email uh, them at info at seattlenightwatch.org and like I said Rick we're gonna run out of time here in a second anything we've left out a major point either about Operation Night Watch or the homelessness problem in Seattle or just maybe a tip that you like to give people, you know, when they go downtown or, or anywhere, like you say, nowadays. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at a, at a stoplight uh, freeway exit, not wanting to look at the homeless guy at the corner. Oh, you're just as, like the rest of us. Just like the rest of us, yes. And, uh, and I finally, it was a long light, and I thought, good grief, and I finally looked over, and it was somebody I knew. I rolled down my window and said, hey, man, you know, how's it going? Sorry, I don't have a buck to give you. He goes, man, I hope you don't think badly of me for standing here. I said, no, man, I don't. And I, I realized that, that that impulse to look away is really common with all of us because we don't have an easy answer. But it seems to me like the starting point is to just say hello and to, and to acknowledge the humanity in the, the other person. 
we start with that, then we'll figure out the rest of it. Yeah. Wow. Acknowledge the humanity in the other person. That's <laughs> that's a, actually a great thing to remember. If you say, that's keeping it simple for us, man, we can remember that. Thank you, Rick, for saying that. Uh, and thanks for being here today. Yeah, we have run out of time today. We've been talking today with Reverend Rick Reynolds, who's the executive director of Operation Nightwatch. Rick, thanks for coming in today and sharing Operation Nightwatch with us. But a much bigger thanks for what Nightwatch does for people in need in our city and county for, like you said, over 50 years now. Thank you so much for being here and doing that. I am Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community. And if you'd like to hear this interview again, it will be available on podcastone.com and iTunes within a few days. Search Spotlight with Gary Scheib. Again, thanks for listening. We will be back next week.